the authentic self is just so beautiful and I often say people are beautiful when they're healing people are beautiful when they're awkward people are beautiful when they're making mistakes like we just really have to stop thinking beauty is is one with perfection because that's not the case at all Welcome to The Expanded Podcast with your host, Lacey Phillips. As a leading manifestation advisor with a process that's, well, radically different from the old New Age model, mine is rooted in psychology, neuroscience, and my energetic gifts. I created this podcast to help you expand your subconscious limiting beliefs about the potential of deserving the manifestations you are calling in. Therefore, you're tuning into this podcast series to show your subconscious that anything you desire is possible. And by pressing play, you've already started the process of manifesting it. I'm officially back after spending a full week up at the Forest Retreat House, which was very much needed to ground, restore, find my center, a lot going on right now. I actually channeled a new type of daily reprogramming exercise as well. We have a lot in the works over here in-house in collaboration with Dr. Tara Swart for a lot of cool things that are about to come out in the fall. So stay tuned on that. And it was really great to be up there to channel and have the space, enjoying the last of the season with all of the outdoor amenities, a lot of stuff to talk about soon. And I'm so excited that so many of you are enjoying the Q&A service that we launched earlier this month. We keep seeing so much feedback in the DMs. You're writing into the company personally about them. And we keep slacking each other and sharing them because we're so excited. So anybody who doesn't know about it yet, we sent out a survey and a download came through simultaneously because somebody in the survey suggested that it would be so nice if somebody could just pay a fee like $25 to submit any question they're having in their manifestation practice or from the podcast or whatever and have it answered in a reasonable time frame rather than supported, which is already included in the Pathway membership. But that is different because everybody's allowed to submit their question and then we pick the questions that are the most frequently asked. So this is a specific service where you pay $25, a coach responds to you, and the response contains a few really important things. They tell you about the energetics of what's going on. They give you actionable steps and they also recommend what homework to do. So how to be utilizing the pathway for your question to unblock, whatever's coming up for you. And again, it's just been super cool to see all of the response that people's minds are blown. They're like, wow, I didn't think that this could be that helpful. And the way you receive the answers are through a voice recorded message back to you, which is anywhere from two to five minutes. So they can go pretty deep and can definitely take you places you didn't even know that this question service could answer. So that's really cool. If you have one that's pressing for you, we are trying it out just for the month of August so far to see how impactful it is. And then we'll decide from there between the coaches and getting feedback from the people who have asked questions, if it's a service we should continue. So you can find the link below if that's something you're interested in. 
And if you're unfamiliar with the coaches, each one of them are taking over a mid-roll this month, and we're actually introducing an entirely new one that's been training with us at the very end of this month, so tune in for that. On that note, I am so excited for today's episode. It's with two women that I admire tremendously. They're two incredibly spiritually wise and integrated women. And it's kind of fun because we're doing a double guest episode. So we have Layla Delia. You remember her from her first episode on here. It's linked below. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend. And I'm sure there are many listeners who follow her Instagram, well, both of these women's Instagram, for the total daily insight that you didn't even know you needed until you read it. She's a wellness educator, a spiritual practitioner, she's a spiritual writer, and founder of Vibrate Higher Daily, as well as the author of the best-selling book, Vibrate Higher Daily. You heard me talk about it a lot in the beginning of the year. It's on the bedstand in my guest room here for any guests that stay, something I tend to flip through often. And it's one of those great books you can just pick up, find a spot, and on that day, you find a teaching that just resonates deeply. And I also keep it in the library up at the retreat house as well. We also have Miriam Hasna. I was actually just recently introduced to her within the last, I would say, five months ago, six months ago, it was actually a follower of ours who tagged her in an Instagram post that we had posted and said, you have to check this woman out. And of course, the moment I did, I was like, oh my gosh, how how have we not been in touch? And I mean, we just believe in so many of the same philosophies. I think the three of us do in general. And that's why I think today's conversation is so fun because many of the things you'll hear on here are certainly in tandem with the work that you're doing within this work. These are two women who focus tremendously on inner child, shadow, and their spiritual gifts. And so Miriam, of course, is no exception. She's an energy worker, hypnotherapist, doing past life regression as well, founder of the New Earth Mystery School, which are conscious studies, their virtual classes, and she's the creator and founder of Resonance Apothecary, which you'll hear more about in here as well. In today's episode, we touch on spiritual practices and each of our energetic gifts. I just think that's always a good one to highlight to people because I think everybody has them. And I think the more you hear about others, the more you're able to tap into your own and recognize your own. We get deep into energetic boundaries. And one that's my favorite that Miriam talks about quite often and has a lot of teachings on currently being a retired empath really, really taking a magnifying glass to that codependency energy that empaths like myself, a lot of us truly understand and feel. So she has a lot of teachings on that. And I love the term that she's coined retired empath. And then a question that we get often, we, we go deeply into how to navigate a spiritual practice with children, especially with new moms. And these are both two beautiful mothers. So without further ado, let's get into it. Yay! Well, welcome. And the very first question that we ask everybody is, well, what's your astrology sign? (laughs) Everybody wants to know. And then, of course, your cultural background and upbringing. So we have so many new listeners since you were on here last, Layla. I'll let you kick off and then we'll move over to Miriam. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. My astrology sign is Cancer and I am a Leo rising, like Lacey. <laughs> and, <laughs> the eyebrows. The eyebrows, exactly. And my cultural upbringing was very diverse. 
my father was a practicing Buddhist coming up in South Central Los Angeles. That's a like a whole sight and wonder within itself. And so he was doing that in the middle of a war zone, so to speak. I, I grew up in late 80s, early 90s, South Central Los Angeles, where it was, it was a very intriguing yet very painful and traumatic experience for the Black people in our area. So we grew up in that. And then also in the Christian faith, my grandmother, Layla, who I'm named after, um, was a church mother, an elder, and she held space in her home as well, where I would be there on her her circles of women on Wednesday nights, reading the Bible to all the elders. And that's where I first fell in love with what I thought was poetry when I was reading the Psalms and the Proverbs. And then also my mother is or was a crisis counselor, very, very devoted Christian woman. And so those are my upbringings, I would say, just of being around circles of people doing their work in the midst of healing, in the midst of knowing that their cultural background could also mesh with their faith. And I would say my other grandmother, who I write about in my book, she was just the community healer, like the big mama, so to speak, that we call in in, in Black culture of the community, where she would bring plates to people who, who were sick and shut in and homeless. And so she really served very well. And um, she was a devoted Christian as well. So those are my three as a young child. And then as I got into my own journey it eventually brought me through the chambers of the Nation of Islam. I was very curious and I was in that for a while. And once I was like, okay, your time here is up and you know, keep elevating, keep learning, keep growing. I just kind of put full circle, look back on everything that I had learned spirituality wise coming up and it created just what I know is my own signature faith and walk and it couldn't be anyone else's. And that's kind of where I am now. It's just like everyone's spirituality and their faith is theirs as it should be. Thank you. I mean, it's so eclectic. And if anybody's interested, which I'll have already said in the intro, but definitely check out the link below because we got to get deeper into your grandmothers and it's it's really, really beautiful. And so excited to welcome you, Miriam. This is our first time talking. And, you know, it was actually a follower who tagged you and said, check you out. And of course, the moment I did and got to reading your quotes, I was like, wow, this woman's so powerful. So we can't wait to hear your astrology sign and cultural background and upbringing. Well, thank you so much, Lacey, for having me. And Layla, thank you also for that beautiful opening. My astrology sign is a Pisces. I'm actually a double Pisces. And I am also a Leo rising. So shout out. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so my upbringing, my cultural upbringing. So I was born in North Africa. And that's significant because I have a really close relationship with the medicine of the Sahara Desert, where my ancestors are from. But I didn't grow up there. I grew up in the U.S., both of my parents were spiritual leaders. My mother also was um, practicing Buddhist before I was born. But then actually through fate or destiny or what have you, found her way to the mystical path of Sufism. So that's what I was born and raised in and also am an initiate of. Uh, slightly different than the way that my parents interpreted the understanding of the teachings. But nevertheless, that is my foundation and so much of what I pull from comes from, you know, that work and my teachers from those lineages. My mother 
is an academic as well as a thought leader. She at one point was a professor at the Harvard Divinity School. And my mother was an activist, a feminist. She is a writer. She lectures and has taught globally. And my father also is an educator. And um, when I was growing up, he actually founded and created several private schools, which is the school that I attended. And a big part of the school model that he created was around community service. So I definitely grew up in a family that was about being in service. So that was a big part. I just thought that that was normal. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was like a thing um, until later. I was like, oh, everybody doesn't do this. But because it was so integrated into my childhood and also into my education, it was just, for me, it was second nature and understand that we're here to support and uplift everyone that we encounter and everyone that we can touch in some way. I grew up mostly in Michigan, in the Midwest, some Midwest girl. What was beautiful about that is that my back door opened right into nature. So I spent so much of my time in the forest, climbing trees, you know, having imaginary friends, <laughs> traversing through nature portals. But then I also spent all of my summers in Philadelphia with my grandmother. So I got that mix of like the Midwest, but then also the big city. And when I was a teenager, my mother was called overseas again, and we ended up living in Southeast Asia, which was a really beautiful experience for me before we came back to the States. And I've been living in Northern California for about 10 years now. And I call that definitely a home, one of many, but I also feel very connected to North Africa, which is a place that I go a couple of times a year to visit community and work on different projects that I have there. So that's also another place that I would say is home for me as well. And yeah, just really excited to be here and to dive into this topic. Yay. Well, it's something that I really wanted to break down because I would say all of us, but it certainly appears that especially you as well, Miriam, are highly sensitive beings. Um, and gifted. And I think one of the questions we receive most often, I certainly do, and it's sometimes hard to define because I'm claircognizant, which is to me the trippiest of them all, because <laughs> you just know things. And I'm really all about really opening up and letting everybody know they have gifts, they receive pings, they receive downloads, we can all channel. So I would love to hear individually what each of your gifts are and how you receive them to help other people expand and start to identify their own. We'll kick it off with you, Miriam, this time. Yeah, um, I love that question. So I've been training and mentoring people with extrasensory gifts for about 10 years now. And I consider myself an extrasensory. And for me, that just means that I have multiple clear senses and other gifts that don't have names. I would say that my strongest gift is telepathy, which I think is a really interesting one because it can come through in a lot of ways. Um, I also have dream prophecy, so I have a lot of prophetic dreams. I'm also claircognizant. I'm a channel. I am clairsentient, but that is one of my gifts that I use less. <laughs> and we can talk about that why as well. I also am clairaudient. 
My least strongest gift, I would say, is clairvoyance, which is really interesting. I think somewhere along the line, I kind of made the agreement that I didn't want to be able to see things. Mm. (laughs) But aside from that, my other gifts are really strong. How they show up is just a variety of ways. Sometimes it is a clear knowing. I do work with a team of guides. So a lot of ways that I receive information is direct telepathy from my guides and definitely gut feelings, chills, feelings up my spine, goosebumps. And when I do have visions, for me, a lot of times I will be shown something in a way of like a metaphor. So a lot of times my guide might show me an image of, let's say, something that is really able to be translated into the situation, or they may show me another experience that I've had that is relevant to the situation. So I do definitely have clairvoyant visions, but thankfully I don't physically see beings. (laughs) I still feel like I have some resistance to that. I kind of have an agreement. I'm like, don't show up without my permission and, and don't touch me, right? I'm the same. I'm that's like I feel just like you in the sense that I have it all, the mediumship, the whole thing and it's just not what I'm here to do right now personally for myself. Like I'm showing up as fully as I can, you know, in this aspect and so that's my strong boundary. So I definitely hear that in you. Yeah, I think it's important to know that you can have those boundaries. You know, a lot of people know my work because I I coined the term retired empath and People still seem like amazed that you can retire from being an empath. And of course you can, right? Because on a soul level, you're not an empath. That's just one of the the outfits that you're wearing here in the human experience. So for me, when I decided that I wasn't interested in being an unconscious empath, actually my other gifts came on stronger. And I was able to really, you know, highlight the ones that I prefer to work with and the way that I prefer to work with them. And the way that I don't prefer to work with them is I don't personally prefer to enmesh or to allow other people's energy into my energy field. I love that. And I know that you have the New Earth Mystery School. So I know that you walk people through so many practices and learning and honing in. If you were to give sort of one tip to the listener out there that's just awakening and just starting to tune into their gifts, what would that be? I mean, I would say the most important thing, me personally, well, two things. (laughs) One is to start to learn to trust your unique way of seeing and perceiving. A lot of people have had their gifts gaslighted and have been told that the way that they know things or how they know things and the things they're picking up on, they've been told, you know, maybe often since childhood, which was my case, that they don't know what they're talking about or that what they're seeing or what they're perceiving is is inaccurate. Or So a lot of us have had our gifts invalidated. And also just because you know, the way that it is in mainstream society, in the matrix, for a lot of people, there's a lot of fear and a lot of resistance. So I would say learning to trust your unique way of perceiving and knowing that someone else is going to have a completely different way. I can tell you for a long time, I didn't, I didn't believe that I was extrasensory because I wasn't clairvoyant, because I think clairvoyance is the number one thing that people know about when they think about having gifts. 
And so for the longest time, the ways that I was receiving insights and intuition and intuitive hits, I just thought that wasn't that wasn't the same thing or that wasn't as relevant. So definitely know that your unique way of perceiving is your own signature. And the other thing that I would say is energetic boundaries. <laughs> Those yep. are the two. I, I, I can't pick say one without the other, but learning how to create those energetic boundaries because once you start opening up those higher energy centers and you start saying yes and you start like signaling to other realms that you're open to channel and that you are awake and aware, you're just going to get a lot of visitors and other people's energy is going to feel like it's bombarding you. So learning how to track and read energy really is going to require you being clear and sovereign in your own field. So learning to set those energetic boundaries and giving yourself permission to be sovereign in your own field and not enmeshed, I think is just, if there could be two things that I could say to every sensitive person, it would be those two. Love it. And I I have those in our questions. So we're going to loop back around to those because that's such an important topic in general for, I think, everybody, but certainly highly sensitive people. And what about you, Layla? I know that you obviously are receiving all this incredible information that you're teaching. For you, how are you receiving your messages and how does it feel? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely right in line with you both with clear cognizance, you know, where I, I feel I am the knower of the information coming through, uh, clear sentient, where I'm the filler of things coming through and that are around me, clairvoyant, where I'm the seer, I can see things. So it's like a multiple channel that comes through. So just having messages come through, knowing the right time to have a specific message that is to channel through to my community or through people who would be guided my way just in order to trust that word has been, I guess, one of my greatest growth (laughs) processes of that discipline of when to say something, when not to say something. Even if there's something as a content creator, I wanted to share knowing this is not the time. Those spiritual gifts are able to take precedence in my life to where I say, okay, this is the message that has to go forth. Or even in my personal relationships, uh, this is something I need to share, or this is something I'm feeling, let me check in. So it's a lot of feeling. And of course, my work is my book, Vibrate Higher Daily. Everything is about vibrations. And through all of this, I think when I bottom line it, it's just that I have a gift to really understand the vibrational field around me, around other people, around things I come into contact with, or things even from a distant place. And I also really use those gifts for the highest vibrational good, and which in my world, it looks like holding space, hospitality, having grace, and uh, living in equanimity and balance. I've really been able to, as I matured, it didn't always look like this. <laughs> it, it looked a lot like surfing the waves of life and falling off a lot of the times, getting overwhelmed, swept away by the waves, the energetic waves and emotions of life and experiences. But as I've matured with these gifts, it's allowed me to just stay centered and stay on my surfboard, on my raft, no matter what's going on around me, and just have that peace and that equanimity and that balance. And that's what has made me fall or rise in deep love with my gifts and have a whole new appreciation and gratitude for them and to just use them as my life's work, to become so close with them that my work, my life, everything is all one. 
Perfect. You both just loving where this is headed. <laughs> and so one thing, you know, that I really talk about in, in my practice of manifestation is the whole worthy, authentic self. I love hearing everybody's perspective of where they've arrived at that or what they perceive that to be. Let's start with you, Layla, on what that means to you and what that looks like for everybody and, of course, yourself. Yeah, the authentic self. That's the most treasured thing on the planet because it's something that has, since we've got here in this dimension, has been under attack. Your authentic self has not always had a platform and a space, a safe space, a container to exist and we're, we're so layered growing up. We have so many layers that are, are given to us by our parents, meaning the best, by teachers, hopefully meaning the best. Uh, and then also <laughs> from, a world, <laughs> from a world who has other goals in mind that didn't always serve us well. And so for me, it's always been the journey back to my authentic self. And once I was able to find that place, just like with my gifts, what I shared, I was able to have a new sense of appreciation for myself and say, hey, girl, I see you. <laughs> this is you. OK, you're beautiful. And you're, you're wonderful and you're OK. And you're not these things that society says you are when you, you don't get them right or when you don't fit in or when you go through pain and when you have heart knocks and when you've been to the rock bottom. That's beautiful that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're right on time. And for me, that's the authentic self. You can go through everything you've gone through. You still look in the mirror and say you have purpose. You wake up every day and you have a sense of self-worth. And your belief system starts to change when you are back home at yourself. And with me, that's what it's looked like, coming back home by any means necessary. And that process within itself has meant removing a lot of things, really setting energetic boundaries, raising my self-worth, doing so much work, my goodness, uh, so much work, including <laughs> your work, <laughs> including your work here in the community, um, Lacey. But yeah, it, it's the authentic self is just so beautiful. And I often say people are beautiful when they're healing. People are beautiful when they're awkward. People are beautiful when they're making mistakes. Like we just really have to stop thinking beauty is is one with perfection because that's not the case at all. You can be beautiful and authentic in any variation of yourself as long as you are doing what it takes to get to your highest vibrational being self. Couldn't agree more. And what about you, Miriam? What does that look like when you really tap into that space for everybody, for yourself, spiritually, in this physical form, the whole nine? I think an important thing that I want to name in this moment is I think it's difficult to try to understand the self through the intellect and through the the linear, like logical mind, because anytime that we think that we land on who we are from the mind, it becomes a concept. And when it becomes a concept, then we automatically limit what's possible. So I think for me, one of the ways that I try to help train people to become aware of who they really are is through direct experience because the nature of who we are is so vast and it is really beyond what our minds can hold as an understanding. And at the same time, when we have that direct experience and that direct knowing of who we really are, there is an attunement. And what happens is that the things that are not true to your nature, you start to see them for what they are. And you start to see how those attachments to certain ideas, certain concepts that we have about who we are, are what create a lot of our suffering. 
And so for me, I do have a core training that I do in my community that is called home frequency training. And what that basically means is that who you are is vast, it's multidimensional, it's cosmic. And when we overly identify with the person or with the personality or identity or any of the roles that we play, any of the various archetypes that we are projecting through in this reality, we lose our ability to shapeshift. So really understanding the self is for me, it's about a true and direct knowing that oftentimes can't be described in words. And it's the place from where so many of the great mystics like Rumi and Hafiz and, you know, so many others were speaking from. So there is a quality about the way that we speak when we are anchored and staying as the true self and understanding that this play of consciousness and this play in this reality is a hologram. It is a projection. It is we are experiencing who we are through our senses and through this phenomenal reality. And those things aren't who we are, right? So I think that's just an important framework to start to become aware of. And from that place, I think that that quality that I spoke about, it starts to imbue your relationships, your experiences, your reality with things that really matter because you're seeing through the illusion and you're seeing through the distortion of what identification with the personhood does and how it limits what we have access to. And let's just go there. Because I think this topic to me, I could talk with my girlfriends about forever. The matrix, the hologram. Once we get out of the physical and like you said, into purely vibration, purely frequency, out of projection, what would be your definition? And we'll start with you on this one, Miriam. What's your definition of even trying to start for the listener who's just tuning into this to define that? Yeah, I think that's the thing. I wouldn't try to define it because that's when we when we try to encapsulate it as one thing or as naming it, or then it becomes a concept for the mind. And there are so many beautiful paths, so many beautiful teachings, so many beautiful traditions that support people who want to come to know who they really are. It's definitely not something that can be summed up in like a nice brief statement, right? Because this is greater than even one lifetime. This journey of like coming to know who we really are, it is something that once we receive that call, that it's time to awaken. And I think that there can be different levels of awakening and different levels of dedication. In my tradition, we have a lot of teachings about what we call when the ego becomes spiritualized, because what happens when the ego identity gets a hold of these spiritual concepts, then now the ego wants to play the role of the witness or the play the role of the seer. And so that's why we teach about the different spiritual trappings, how to avoid them, what are the pitfalls. For me, a big part of this work is shadow work. And it is really calling back those parts of yourself that you have abandoned, that you have rejected, that you have repressed, suppressed, 
avoided looking at and allowing yourself to really start to reintegrate that because for me, ascension is about wholeness. So it's about really starting to understand why there are certain parts of this human experience that we reject and bringing those into our awareness, bringing them into our love, integrating those in and, and receiving that integration is like an important step, I think, for someone that is new starting. Rather than trying to grasp who am I in this one moment, I would say a, a really like humble way to approach the work would be to start to do that shadow work. And for me, why I like approaching it in that way is because it's thorough. It's not always as glamorous, right? Some people want to go right into what are my spiritual gifts. And in my lineage, we are taught that yes, spiritual gifts come, but at best, they are just the fragrance of who we really are. You know, they're not the goal. They're never, the focus is never how to attain or get more spiritual gifts. And so for me, again, the, the, the path in a really thorough way would start with some of the parts that are the most difficult to face, which is the shadow work, shadow work and the inner child work, and really getting those parts of you back, those soul fragments, those aspects of you that might have fragmented from trauma, might have fragmented just from being suppressed, and starting to call those parts of you back home. Because if you think about it, let's say you're you're returning home to the source, right? You don't want to leave any of you behind. So, and that's why I say it's really important to start to do the work to love all of those parts of you that maybe you never have loved before. For me, again, the way that I would I would guide someone who is new to this work is I would acknowledge that any sort of spiritual expansion or growth that is at the cost of wholeness is not thorough and it's not complete. So for me, it's about being whole. So that means that I'm going to find all of those parts of me that, that I never was able to love and I'm going to welcome them home and I'm going to integrate them and I'm going to forgive myself. Ultimately, what that does is that enlivens you it gives you strength. It gives you courage for the journey. You're returning back to you ultimately. And when you do that thoroughly, you ultimately have more compassion for other people who you know are operating from the unconscious, that are operating from shadow, that are asleep, that are veiled still, because you remember what it was like when that was the case for you. So I'm quickly interrupting this episode to invite you if you're ready to start your manifestation journey, or if anything you've heard in our manifestation episodes has piqued your interest to begin. We have a la carte workshops in everything from the basics bundle, which is what we recommend to everyone who starts. It's the formula that actually teaches you how to manifest, unblocked inner child and unblocked shadow. We also have a la carte workshops on love and money. But the real gem is the Pathway membership because it encompasses every single workshop we have. It's a year-long membership with full access to the few a la carte offerings we have, and 
exclusive workshops not available anywhere else, such as the daily practice, which is what everybody in the pathway uses, hopefully at least three times a week to daily in order to truly create the new neural pathways that one needs in order to manifest and houses the library of our deep imaginings, which is our unique hypnosis process that allows you to get into your subconscious and overwrite those old neural pathways, creating the new ones. You can use our special code EXPANDED, all caps, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D, to receive $20 off your first a la carte workshop purchase or $20 off your first month of the pathway. Again, that's all caps, EXPANDED, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D. Okay, now back to the episode. When you hear the concept of the matrix, that can feel like a very abstract concept to many new listeners or to many people like you were saying, Miriam, that are awakening. What what does that look like for you and and your approach to it? Yeah, very much a lot of that same experience. And it's it's realizing the realization, first of all, that there is a web (laughs) that is being created around you and to start to recognize when when this awareness starts to come online for you that, wait a minute, there's a system set up here and I'm recognizing it, whether this is, and and it could start small, like within your own family. And maybe the matrix is that you were raised in a very toxic home. That's a matrix, a web within itself. There can be a web within your community. Like what, what is the thought frequency, the vibrational energy of the community I'm in? Am I a sovereign being here? Was I raised with enmeshment? Was I raised in trauma? Like really realizing like the trappings that help to form who you are and that have possibly have buried your authentic self where the authentic self is saying, okay, I'm not ready to come out yet. Not until there's a safe space, not until there's enough room for me to feel like I can breathe. And for me, that's what the matrix has looked like. That for myself, it's something that in my own life, I've moved away from, I've dismantled, I've prayed away, (laughs) I've fasted away. I really had to take my power back in so many aspects to free myself from matrix thinking, matrix programming, and to realize that a lot of the desires, a lot of the cultural upbringing even wasn't mine, it was programming. And, And then even when I zoom out of that, the cultural programming, like for me growing up in South Central Los Angeles, a very urban community, and my particular community was called the war zone. It was painful growing up in that environment. The school systems were very underserved, but then we could be frustrated right there with the problem. But then when you zoom all the way out, you look at, oh, wait a minute, we're not the cause of the problem. There's something way bigger, some systemic issue. Some There's people in power that are allowing this to be so. That's the matrix. So it's sometimes realizing that everyone around you is doing the best they can with what they have, but then there's this other structure, this power in place. And then if we zoom out even above that with my spiritual faith is that there are just forces that are at play on this planet, whether you want to call them wickedness, Mm -hmm. divine being, Darkness. darkness, you know, just, and more so than darkness, I look at it more as like wickedness. I really look at it as the energy, the vibration of wickedness, the vibration of, of disharmony, disagreement, and of having intentions that are meant to profit 
at the cause and at the detriment of other souls. And then there's the divine aspect who is always looking to free us and to call us home to ourselves and to allow us to be awakened. And so the matrix is like, do you want to take the blue pill or the red pill? And um, I think that as a global community, a planet, we're definitely there where we're like, are we going to take the red pill or the blue pill? Which pill are you going to continue to take? Are you going to become sovereign? Are you going to stand in your power? Are you going to awaken? What's the next experience for you as, as a human species? And that's where we are. And we're right there where we can exit the matrix. We see it crumbling. It's holding on for dear life as we see, but the matrix is that it's universal, but it's also personal, very personal. So I think that, you know, sometimes we can always see the outer, but also look to see where that matrix is in your own home, in your family. What dynamics are you supporting? Are you setting up in your own, whether it's as a parent, as a, as a partner, as a business person, really looking to just have a better version of whatever you have now. Um, for me, that's a lot of the work. It's like, how can I elevate? How can I transcend? How can I vibrate higher with whatever I have, no matter whether I feel I'm suppressed, suppressed or free? Like we all can strive for better as I have, um, like I say at the top, whether I was at the rock bottom or whether I felt like I had reached some level of personal success, there was just this this ongoing feeling of something guiding me towards more. And when I say more, not to gain more, but to reveal more of my true authentic self. One of the lives that I had the chance to watch actually right when it came out was the integration in highly sensitive beings. And I think right now, may it be that we're dealing with COVID or, you know, we're dealing with this massive unveiling of shadow that some people are just waking up to of injustice and systemic injustice. How are you two navigating that authentically helping people to awaken? And I think what I'll also move that in tandem with, because you two are both massive expanders in this community, and also to provide for any of the women, especially Black women in this community, is how are you both finding Black joy during this time? And how are you navigating showing up in in Black trauma, as well as Black grief that's so strong when the woke movement sometimes only shows like a one-size-fits-all, and it, it doesn't leave room for authenticity for everybody? And I'll let you start that, Miriam. You know, I feel like an important thing to be aware of is, again, like identification. So for me, the last, I would say, three months, two, three months in my community, we've been unpacking what exactly is the role of the identity and what is the role of that within the realm of our true nature. And if we are going to define, right, I'd say the best way that we can define who we really are is awareness itself, right? If I know that who I am is awareness itself, then I know that the individual that is playing this particular role, I use the reference of the video game very often to kind of talk about this holographic reality. And when you understand the role of what you're playing in the video game, you understand that you pick an avatar, your avatar, you pick what the avatar is going to look like, what they're going to wear, the outfit, the, the weapons sometimes, 
And then the avatar goes through different levels of the game, right? And then you level up and then there's cheat codes and all that. So people hear that. Those references a lot of times when I talk about this, when you identify as the avatar, of course, right? You picked that avatar for a reason. So for me, there's no dismissal of being Black or being a Black woman or being a certain age or being from a certain place. And at the same time, for me, that's not the whole story. So one of the things I love to unpack is what is harmful about identity politics. And as a being who is aware of this play, of this dance here in this reality, many times I'm not even identifying as a person, to be honest. Many times what I am is anchored in the knowing that this whole reality I'm one with. And again, I think what's dangerous is when we start to use these kinds of things as concepts to say, we don't need to talk about race or we don't need to talk about racism or we don't need to talk about systems of oppression. So I want to introduce the idea of the both and, which is that these are both true at the same time. One doesn't negate the other, right? But I have to bring both into the conversation so that we're holding the complexity of what it really is, which does not then invalidate the very real reality that the avatar that I chose is that of a Black woman. And that comes with its own unique medicine. But what it does not come with for me is this idea that my experience is so different and unique that other people can't relate to it or that my experience is so different and unique and that I'm of an oppressed people because that's not how I experience my life here at all. So I experience the same joy as everyone else experiences. So when, when you ask that question, you know, for me, it's like, I look at everything as energy signatures. So my last month, I taught a class called Waking Up From Being Woke. And my guides gave me this theme last September I had no idea why, but they wanted me to compare the energy signature of white supremacy, patriarchy, and woke activism, because there's a very clear template that is coming from the same source and that are operating within different communities in different ways and different people in different ways. But make no mistake, it's the same virus. Can you break it down a little bit for us for what what you channeled through that? Yeah, I can give you like a brief synopsis of it, but basically what it comes down to is domination and control and oppression. And I see that particular imprint making its way through these different structures and through these different identities, right? Because that's how it takes hold when you're identifying, let's say, as a woke social justice activist. And that's who you see yourself as, then what happens is all of your sense of self-worth has to come through that identity. So all of the ways that you're you're getting your validation of who you are and that you have worth is now coming through that particular frequency bandwidth that you have become identified with. So any of the other parts of you that are not deciding to be present in that moment may not get seen. And so that's the danger of over-identification. The difference when you're established as who you really are and you understand that you're playing a role, you're not attached. You don't have an agenda. 
you allow spirit or consciousness or pure awareness to move through you as you in a very unique way, but you're not identified with it. You're just the channel. You're just the vessel. That is the difference between identification with any of these unique aspects of our humanity and losing yourself and falling asleep as the person. And I think you just outlined that so beautifully as an extension of every way that you expressed the matrix and the hologram. And and really, that was such a, a beautiful addition to that to outline it further and see that further of, again, getting back into your essence or starting to feel into something very different than the material. Yeah, and I can give a real, like I can give a real tangible example if it's helpful. For example, if I, let's say, am operating in a really heavily infiltrated matrix type of experience, right? Let's say I'm going to court or something, or I'm going to the DMV or something like that, right? Where it's really imbued with the structures, even in the building, are really imprinted and imbued and programmed with just that energy signature of this is the matrix, right? If I was to go into that experience and shrink myself into personhood, then what happens is I lose access to the part of me that can transform and transmute anything. And that's what you referred to earlier is shape-shifting. Exactly. So I have no problem, quote unquote, playing the role, talking a certain way, playing a certain way, not in an inauthentic way, not in a performative way. It's not, it's not a performance to diminish myself. That's why, again, why I say this is the play, right? This is a dance. This is a particular type of way of running energy. So I might run a more masculine dominant energy in that moment to elicit a certain type of alchemy, mm-hmm. a certain type of outcome. Whereas in another type of environment, I may be channeling more of my divine feminine guides. I have warrior guides that I can channel. I have divine feminine. I have angelic beings, right? So all of those are me. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I love your description too of just, you know, really understanding energy and how to alchemize it, how to harness it, how to shift it, how to play with it. And then again, getting back into the universal oneness that you are all of those already. And you can access all of those from your guides, from anything that again, is just not in the physical. And I think that was such a, such a perfect description. I'll pass that over to you, Layla, getting back to the question of everything that's going on throughout this year in general. And then of course, you know, everything we just touched on, what is your perspective? I definitely see us at the forefront of being our own game changers where it's no longer up to the system. It's no longer up to the matrix. We are given our, I keep the word sovereignty keeps coming to me (laughs) in this, in this podcast, but where it's time to be sovereign. And so what decisions are you making? How are you identifying yourself as? And we see that all over. It's all about identification. What am I identifying as? And even the identification can be a part of the matrix. And so it's like when you really just take time to really sit in what's going on, how you identify in it, 
what gifts you have, how can I use these gifts to empower myself, empower others, to free myself. That's definitely an important part because your gifts will always free you in any situation you are in psychically, vibrationally, energetically. And so how can I use those to move me forward? And how can I reprogram my mind to not have fear that my voice counts and that I can show up, I can take up more space here without being a trigger, without being fearful, without playing into the matrix. The matrix does have a certain reaction that they love to get out of you. So even knowing that, like that, I'm not going to give you the reaction you expect, the response you expect. I can choose a total different timeline. Like I can handle this situation. I can be on a whole different timeline over here where I'm in my power. I am fortified. I'm strong. I'm not stuck on the timeline where all the triggers are. And that's what that's looked like for me. Growing up, when I joined the Nation of Islam, I was very triggered as a young woman uh, around a lot of the things I saw growing up, injustices. And the Nation of Islam gave me a voice and, and a home. And I was like, okay, we all feel this way. And it was very empowering. And I believe that that had its place in my life. And I wouldn't have had the strength, I think. It helped me really form a new different strength within myself as a young woman. And, but also the, the calmness and the sweetness of my grandmother's just being a prayer warrior and smiling and holding space. My father's Buddhist practices, like all these things were like a symphony of power that as a woman today, I'm able to tap into all of this to free myself from just all the systemic problems that I've experienced personally, that I see other people experience through my work. I'm able to help release programming and help people vibrate higher through my gifts. And I think that when we return to what is ours, which is our gifts, more than anything, like if we just identify what, like Miriam was saying, if we just identify, there's whole other aspects of ourselves that we can identify as like, what are your gifts? Are you love? Are you, you know, are you, are you a teaching spirit? Are you a guiding? Are you a protector? Like we're all these things beyond race. And I think that that is a trap, but not to negate that that is the part of the matrix, right? So if we want to play the game, play the game. Like if you're going to be in it, play it, but also have your power, like have that space where you go at the end of the day and you discharge, you also empower yourself and you're able to get back the next day and go on the front lines. If you want to be the activist, if you want to be a change maker, do the things that fortify you so that you're not caught up in the matrix. Because at the end of the day, the matrix has had so many centuries to train and to prepare to keep you programmed. So you just being awakened for a year or even 10 years, it doesn't stand a chance next to a system who found a nation on these principles. And again, it's forces when we really zoom out. So they're forces. So I would just say within that you have the power to win, but it's going to take really setting up a lifestyle that reminds you of who you really, really are. You know, getting back to your joy, I think black joy, that that thing that you said, that's important because that's a thing. If we are, as Miriam said, the avatars in the black bodies, we have to find the joy. What is your joy? What does that look like? And how can you, if you're not in a black body, how can you add to the joy of people who are in black bodies and brown bodies? What does that look like? Does that look like taking on some of the stress that they're carrying? Does it look like having a hospitable spirit, maybe a charitable spirit in, the, in a community that you don't know of? But there's so many ways that you can show up to lighten the load for Black people so that they can tap in and access more joy. And I think I said this on my last podcast episode with you, but Black communities, it's hard for them to tap into 
higher vibrational fields within themselves if they're just on survival mode. So we can tap into the higher spirituality of ourselves, but once we kind of let go of just having to be a survivor, what does that look like? And sometimes that means helping these communities. And then again, doing the work yourself to knowing that if no one helps me at the end of the day, that I can reprogram my subconscious mind, I can take my power back and I can I can work myself. You can tap into the quantum field where you can learn that things are accessible to you when you connect your thoughts and your feelings, your belief system in that way. And that's that's that was advanced work for me when I first learned it. I was like, whoa, I don't understand this. But once I did, it was a whole new world opened up to me to where now I can be on the front lines doing the work I do every day. But at the same time, I am in my equanimity, in my inner peace and balance, because I know that my power, my, my who I am, my identity doesn't come from that. It comes from a deeper sense of my gifts and the vibrational being that I am here to be. A word that's come up quite a few times that is so important to everything we've spoken about is energetic boundaries, which I love. And you've said sovereignty many times, and that's what energetic boundaries often mean to me is being in my full sovereignty. The more I sink into it, and I like you've been talking about, Miriam, I use energy to shape shift into that space a lot, which is usually like into full security, into full center, and everything around sort of disperses. But I would love to hear, and of course, Miriam, you have a whole course on this and many teachings, and then you, Layla, have a wonderful book that is littered with, <laughs> with essentially how you can access a lot of different tools to have energetic boundaries and sovereignty. I will kick this off to you first, Layla. What does that mean for you? What does that look like? Or maybe just one tip or tool of how you are able to access that space, energetic boundaries to create your sovereignty. Yeah, just knowing that what you feel is necessary at any moment is the right choice and then using your power to make that happen. So whether it's saying yes or no, that's been a game changer for me. Growing up, I always had a issue with saying no. I really honored other people's feelings as as a very empathic being growing up, I didn't want to hurt feelings. And But now when you understand energetic boundaries, it's I love you, but no, <laughs> mm. or I love you. Yes. Or this is best for me. This is why I'm choosing this. Yes. But it's, it's just standing in what you know is going to help you evolve and transform and continue the alchemy in your life. A lot of times when we say yes and no, it's because we're staying trapped in someone else's view and program and what they think is a part of their mission in life or their highest good. And we get lost in that. And at the end of the day, we don't know why we said yes and no in the first place. And we're somewhere where we didn't intend to be. And we kind of lose sense of our direction, our purpose, ourselves. And so for that, for me, that looked like just staying on top of my mission and knowing that the direction I have to go in life is going to cause me to make um, navigational decisions, which means standing in my power and my sovereignty. And for you, Miriam, what what's one thing? Give us your perspective, but I know that this is something that you too are so firm in and have really harnessed your ability to create energetic boundaries. I'm excited to hear your perspective. Yeah. You know, I would say that I think it's yes, energetic boundaries, but for some reason I'm I'm feeling to name 
learning how to run energy properly. I think this is a really important thing that people don't know how to do and haven't been trained on. And for me, I think people think oftentimes that like you can give them a few tips and that'll be like the thing. But I just want to say for me, you know, I've been studying energy work for 10 plus years and I still feel like I have so much to learn. But learning how to run energy, I would say is right in there with energetic boundaries. I work a lot with deep earth energies, with cosmic energies. And when you're running those energies through your energy field and you're clearing your energy field, and you're also really grounding and you're allowing like deep earth energies to hold things in your energy field that are coming up, that's what fortifies those energetic boundaries, right? So I think people um, need to understand that like setting a boundary with someone is different than an energetic boundary. What I'm talking about when I say energetic boundary is your aura, your auric field, your bio field. And so learning how that field of energy works and what resources it how to give it a bath, how to repair holes in the aura, how to notice when someone else's energy is in your energy field, right? So even though it may feel like a lot, I think it's good for people to know that there are a lot of components to what allows you to have a healthy aura and and healthy energetic boundaries ultimately. I can feel our community probably saying like, what What would be a sign of a healthy aura? What would you say to that? I mean, of course, I know how to track my own aura and, and how to repair it and how to be the, the doctor of mine. So I, I know when it is and when it's not. But honestly, something like getting sick, there there can be a lot of reasons why we get sick. But oftentimes, we can feel sick and get sick because we are depleted our energy field is not running, the energies in our channels isn't running properly. We haven't cleared um, old stagnant emotions. So a healthy aura would allow you to interface with the world, interface with other people. Other people are having their own experience. You're having your own experience and not because you've numbed out. You're very present. You're present, you're as caring, as compassionate, and as empathic as you've ever been, maybe more, right? Because when you have healthy boundaries, you actually can really turn on your sensitivity. But ultimately, you're having your own experience, and you're allowing other people to have their own experience. I would say that would be a, a definitely a clear marker of a healthy aura. Who that takes work. I mean, that's beautiful. It's an investment, and it's so worth it. And you know, if you think about your body, and how we really don't understand what a beautiful technology our body is. And a lot of us don't really understand our physical body, let alone our, our subtle bodies. It's definitely an investment. And for me, it's the investment of a lifetime because it's what's completely transformed my life on every level. The question I would say we get the most from people doing this work is, with two women that are highly spiritual, you've been at practice for a very long time, your mothers, for the new moms who don't have support, what advice would you give? And we'll start this with you, Miriam, to be able to fit in a spiritual practice or carve out a spiritual practice, because I think so many new newer moms or moms of toddlers or little ones under five, it's just so hard for them. 
Yeah, I love this question. One, I feel that expanding your idea of what spiritual practice is, I think would be a good place to start. You could, again, look at it in a very, very classical, traditional way of meditating and fasting and and, and, and that's beautiful. But, you know, there's a lot of other things that allow you to become aware of awareness itself that for me, I would say are equally spiritual and you can practice them. I know, for example, for me, I raised my son who is also highly sensitive, playing a lot of chanting in the background. So having an altar for me is crucial. I have several Having an altar that has different intentions, for me, having an ancestral altar is crucial because I do so much work with my ancestors. Um, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do without my ancestors. So having an altar, and it can be simple, but lighting a candle, lighting an incense, that can happen in five minutes, Mm -hmm. right? And you can also have chanting mantras and things like that that work for you that you understand what they are. It's a type of invocation and it creates an energy field. So you can do that while you're holding your little one, rocking them to sleep. Um, I also really work a lot with sound healing. So my son was raised with a lot of healing sounds, solfeggio frequencies and different instruments that are really soothing to the nervous system. So I started him really young playing with those instruments to him, there, there would be a toy, but it would be helping his nervous system to calm and relax. So there is so many ways you can kind of sneak it in there. And what about you, Layla? I remember that you shared on the last podcast. I mean, even when your daughter, when India was young and, you know, you were in an unhealthy environment with her, with your son's father, how did you find time to collect yourself or have a practice? I love all of these tips. I think moms out there hearing this are probably like, oh, thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I remember hearing the words from, and actually when I was in the Nation of Islam and making my transition around that time where one of the greatest teachers known to the Nation of Islam was, was, um, his name is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And he teaches that the mother is the first teacher. And I remember those words rung true to me and I was playing back in my head, wow, you know, what teacher have I been to my daughter? And it wasn't a heavy thing for me. You know, it wasn't like a trigger, like, oh, mistakes I've made, but what have I been teaching her versus what can I begin to teach her now? And I chose at that time to, when I you know, was creating a safe space for her, even my son was to become the teacher of peace, of healing, of power. And, and just to be aware, like when you know that you're as the mother, you're the first teacher, that's spiritual. Like that becomes spiritual so quick and so fast right there alone. So what am I displaying? And, and at the end of the day, the word rabbi, that just means teacher, you know? So when you really tap into everything I'm doing all day long, this being is looking up to me, is seeing me, is seeing my responses, my reactions, how I am responding to life, to pain, to joy. Am I grateful? Like, it's just the small things that are really big for children because children, you know, it's like they start up with baby food, soft food. They Then they go up to the, the more tougher foods. But I think that if we see the human psyche that same way, that's really empowering. So just to teach children 
the small little attributes of saying thank you, of being appreciative, opening doors, <laughs> teaching young boys, you know, to, to be a gentleman. And when I say gentleman, not in the, in the form of the patriarchy, but as a gentle being that can hold space for, for women and for other men. And I think that creating a safe home environment, creating that home sanctuary that I talk about in my book, my father created for me was so empowering because I, no matter what your children experience in the world, whether they're five, you know, their nervous system is online, it's working. <laughs> and so sometimes when they come home and there are a lot to deal with, we don't know what they experienced at school that day. So mm. create a home that is a sanctuary, even for the five-year-old, for the baby, for the teenager, for the preteen. And if you have a college student, if you have an adult, I have an adult child here at home with me. So it's like create, and I have a, a, a middle school student here. So create that environment that helps their nervous system really drop into the parasympathetic. And it creates such a difference in the home. It creates a different culture to where when they walk in those doors, they know that there's love. Um, at, right at my front door, I have an altar. So they know like they, it's very clear to them when they leave here, they're going to pass the altar. There's going to be candles. There's water. There's the ancestors. There's precious things there. So they have to pass that and they have to pass it back, coming back home. So it's a small little things that I've done to set up this space to where it does wrap them in a vibrational protective field when they leave. And it creates also, again, the culture within the home. I'm very clear of my role as the mother teacher. And also, again, that I'm displaying my spirituality through my actions. And again, whether you're doing the yoga, the meditation, whether you're going to a traditional church, a mosque, a synagogue, Whatever your faith is, is the best thing that you can do for your children is to be a beautiful example of what that is in real time, in real situations that you have daily. And that's going to test you. That's going to really allow you to grow if you accept the test and you surrender in those moments to say, let me find my equanimity. Let me let me apply my teachings. That way my children can see my faith lived out. And this is the kind of thing that I saw my grandmothers do that to this day I'm very grateful for. And that um, is my biggest mission with my children. Yeah, just like you, I, I had that in my grandmother and grandfather, and it was so powerful. And those are all fantastic tips. Let's kick this off with you first, Layla. Tell us about your book. What else do you have going on? I know COVID has been so limiting Everyone on this podcast has heard me mention your book multiple times, <laughs> but there's never enough. Um, let us know what you're up to and, and where to find it and everything. Yeah. So my book is Vibrate Higher Daily, Live Your Power. And it's a guide to tapping into a new you, tapping into a new reality, living from a new timeline, and really accessing your power to live in a world as a, a new transformed being. And no matter where you come from, there's always just more of you that the world deserves. And so that helps you get there, whether there's triggers, whether there's blockage, whether there's pain, no matter what it is, the, this book has it for you. It's a really fun book. It's a quick read. A, a lot of people are reading over the weekend, which I'm very happy about. And I think it's really great. But the book is, it's a movement within itself, which I'm just so grateful. I had no clue that my published date was pushed back. It was supposed to come out spring of 2019, but Divine Order, it came out in December. And little did I know just a few months later that the world would shift in this way. So I'm just so grateful that 
the most high divine saw it fit to for this book to come out and serve during this time. So that's there. I have my website, Vibrate Higher Daily, where I do hold a community. It's a membership community where I help people, I guide people through their vibrational life, vibrational living, teachings on equanimity, all the things I talked about today, living in your power and knowing how to show up sovereign unapologetically. I can be found on social media at Layla Delia. Go for it. Everybody go check it out. And then Miriam, where's the starting point? Because I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm scrolling through all of your workshops and I'm like, I've got to take that. I've got to take that. They're so fantastic. So many. Where do you have people navigate when they first discover you? Because you have so many vast and very important teachings for people to digest and integrate. We have a beautiful community of about 1500 people. That's a membership community. And the community is about four years old now. And although the classes are wonderful, and of course I stand firmly behind them, um, and they're the classes that I feel like I would have wanted to have available to me if I was newly awakening. But really what's great about the community is the community itself and the conversations that we have behind the scenes. So it is a membership community. So aside from just the classes, if you are a member, We have community meetings that sometimes go over three hours. People are sharing poetry, dreams. It's just a a safe place to come and unpack and have different conversations about whatever's up in the collective. So that's what the the community itself is like. The classes themselves, we always tell people if you're kind of not looking for community and you're just looking for great practices and, and techniques and frameworks, that the classes can be found as individual classes in our course library. And we always say, pick intuitively. You know, Mm -hmm. I trust if you go through and you feel called to something, right? A lot of the names are great. I have a class called um, The Metaphysics of Minding Your Own Business. You know, so there's a humor to the way that I approach this work, of course. My very first class that I ever taught was on timeline jumping because that is, for me, such a core practice. And this next month, I'm teaching uh, reality plane jumping. So it's timeline jumping 5.0, basically. So if people want to come for the live class, I just think that that's really where the juice is at. They get to be with the community and with everyone else. So I would say if you can attend a live class, that'll give you a real sense of like what we're up to for sure. And then I also have Resonant Apothecary, which is apothecary created for highly sensitive people, which is really all about the nervous system. And it's really, really finely tuned teas, tinctures, flower essences, flower remedies from my garden that I've grown, flowers. A big part of my medicine is flowers for sure. And yeah, so we have really beautiful apothecary products if that's what you're looking for and we do have a membership tier where you receive our monthly box along with the classes so first if someone's like i want all in that's an option too what a dream that sounds so beautiful where are you in northern california i'm in the berkeley hills oh amazing that's fantastic yeah and i will also one other thing that i have coming up um, i actually haven't announced it yet but Next month, we're going to be announcing it officially. I'm creating a six-weeks course on rehabbing from systems of oppression. 
So we're going to be going through and teaching energy work for how to rehab from racism, patriarchy, and woke activism. And I'm going to have my chiropractor, who is a nervous system specialist that I've been working with for the past two years, who has been helping me to really fine tune my nervous system as a highly sensitive, as a channel. And there's so many great teachers that are going to be a part of this program. It starts on the equinox. September 22nd is when the six weeks course actually begins. So if someone's looking for a a slightly um, more nuanced approach to what I think is a little bit more radical than anti-racism work and a little bit more based in metaphysics, that's what we're creating. Beautiful. And we'll make sure to link it below once this goes live. So I just want to thank you both so much. Such beautiful beings. I learned so much in today's conversation. I hope we have many more. Thank you. Thank you both, Lacey and Miriam. Thank you so much. Thank you, Layla. You too. Bye, community. Hugs. Have a beautiful evening. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, we did. And in case you're not totally ready to join the pathway yet, I wanted to share a few of our free offerings that I'll often suggest to people as a little bit of a blueprint to get them started on their manifestation journey. The first place I like to direct people completely for free is the motivation. You can see it linked below or on our homepage as our testimony library. And it's categorized by different subjects, whether you're calling in career, money, love, wellness, and much more. When you're reading about a member's experience of what they manifested, you're actually seeing to believe and showing your subconscious that that very thing is possible for you. The second place I like to direct people is to the free clarity exercise, which is also linked below. In it, you get to try our own unique hypnosis process, learn about the science and some journaling prompts. And the best part about this, you'll get a tiny taste of what it's like to go into your hypnotic state, bring your subconscious forward and create new neural pathways while receiving clarity. And the third thing, if you haven't listened to it on this podcast yet, please go back to the episode titled Manifestation 101, where you'll learn the basics of neural manifestation to truly understand this process. So go ahead and check out those free resources, the motivation, the free clarity exercise, and the episode Manifestation 101, all linked below. And in an effort to make sure to have representation in this process series, go ahead and submit any process testimonials you have, especially to our LGBTQ plus community, our BIPOC, as well as the WISE, which is anyone in the community who is 45 and over. All right, we'll be back next week. <laughs>